Jesus, today we thank you. We love your name. We absolutely love your name. There may have been a time in our lives when we cursed your name. It may have been a common name that we threw around. But Lord, your name, the name of Jesus, has been highly lifted up. It's the name above all names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. In heaven, on earth, and even under the earth. Lord, we thank you. Your name, as we have sung, is a wonderful name, a beautiful name. It has no rival, has no equal. We thank you. But Lord, when we sing about your name and when we speak your name, it means so much more than what it formerly did in our lives. You are our Savior, our Lord, the one that loves us, and we love you too, Lord Jesus. And we thank you that you are so gracious to us and caring. You look after us. You put your arms around us. You're the one that said, I'll never leave you never forsake you and you are true to the words that you have spoken so we thank you we thank you for that in Jesus name and all God's people said amen, amen. come on let's give Jesus a shout thank our musicians as we sit down what a great morning we're having together I'm sure like me you're encouraged already by what God is doing in this place and, and saying. This morning, again, we're going to look at the importance of having good, strong, healthy relationships in our lives. Last week, we began to look at this, and we said that if we were to look back in the past, we would be able to see many people that God has brought our way, and those people in turn, in different ways, have invested into our lives. You are who you are. You are where you are, not as a result only of the good choices that you've made. You are where you are. You are who you are as a result of people that God has placed in your life that you can identify, that I can identify, that have invested into your life that have made you the person that you are, and they've had a role in bringing you into the place where you are today. I think it's important to maybe look back over the past and see and identify those people that have been in your life to get you to the place where you are today. There's many, as I think back in my life, some of them have just been that, that, that beacon of hope, that light in amidst darkness, that kind word that I've needed, that, that person that's come along to help me when I felt hopeless. There's many, many people over the course of my life and over the course of your life that have been there to invest in you, to bring you into the place that you are today. You know, I think it's good to actually think about those people, identify them, and maybe 
take the next step and go and thank them, honor them, respect them, be there for them as they were once there for you. It's really important. You know, you may look around today in this room and there may be somebody that comes to your mind and you, you think, do you know what? That person has really helped me in this church. Maybe today after this service, it would be good to go up to them and just say thank you. You know, just express your gratitude to them in being a blessing to your life. People are so important. If we are going to achieve everything that God has got planned for us, He's going to put people in our lives to help us to get to where He wants us to be. You know, the Bible says that we are the workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus. That means that we are God's masterpiece. Your life is actually a masterpiece. But God just doesn't you know, make this masterpiece alone with you without anybody else involved. God sends people to us to do His work in our lives, to bring us from where we are to where He wants us to be. God usually, when you look at the Bible, sends a person on His behalf to serve you, to help you, to invest in you, to bless you, and to bring you into what He has planned for you. He'll also send you and me into the lives of others so that we can make those deposits. We can be the blessing that God has designed our lives to be in somebody else's life. You know, at the end of our obedience is somebody else's blessing. Maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe it's somebody at home. Maybe it's somebody in your extended world that God wants you now to invest in. That God wants you now to be a blessing too. Maybe there's been much deposit into your life and now God is requiring that deposit to be used in order for it to be a blessing to another. Jesus once said, to whom much is given, much is required. God doesn't invest into our lives via His people just so that we can sit back and be fat so that we can just sit back and gloat in all of the inward riches and all of the inward investment that we've received over the years by the countless people that have come our way. No, to whom much is given, much is required. God might be requiring and putting a demand on that great investment that's been placed in you, whether it's your abilities, whether it's your, your generous nature, whether it's your kind words and your encouragement to another. It could be a lifeline to a hopeless life, just a kind word, just a smile, just a glance at somebody that, that has never, you know, received anything good in their life but negative words and negative environment. You could be a lifeline, a light of hope in darkness to somebody that's just spiraling downwards. There's, you're, you're loaded with investments given by God through His people. You're loaded. And to whom much is given, much is required. And God may be in the weeks and the months and over the course of this year making a requirement and a demand on that great investment. Don't be selfish. Don't 
ignore his promptings. Don't ignore the, the, the queuing opportunities that are lining up to meet you. Immerse yourself in them and offload all of that blessing. Offload all of that rich resource into the needy lives before you. This is the gospel. This is the good news. You know, Jesus wasn't satisfied just to be filled with the Spirit and walk in the power of the Spirit after going through a wilderness season. He walked walked into the temple. He was loaded with blessing, loaded with the very Spirit of God, and he stood up on the Lord's day, and he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, not so that you can all look at me and be impressed. He said, I'm going into the communities. I'm going to meet people that have never been in this building. I'm going to see people. There's people ahead of me that's queuing up. They're brokenhearted. They're blind. They're destitute. They've got no hope in life. I'm packed, I'm loaded, to whom much has been given, much is required. Lay your requirement on me, God, because I'm going to go out and I'm going to heal this broken world and I'm going to be a light to a greater life. And he did that wherever he went. He destroyed the work of the devil and he brought the kingdom of God into lives that would never, ever be allowed in that religious temple, that religious place that had banished so many people that were in need. You're loaded with blessing. You're loaded with, with wonderful gifts to give this world. Don't underestimate the power of a kind word. Don't underestimate the power of, of an encouraging word, a smile, a conversation, whatever you may bring. When God is on it, when God is setting it up, I tell you now, you wouldn't believe what can happen. You know, lots of times the supernatural work of God is hidden in the normality and the mundane of life. And very often we're trying to look out for some spectacular thing when God does things very normally and very, very uh, naturally. This morning I'm going to look at a man and I want us to think about a guy in the New Testament that God called to invest in another person. The man that we're going to think about for a few moments is a man called Ananias. Ananias. And, you know, this guy was just a normal disciple. We'll see. Just a normal disciple. Nothing special, really, about Ananias. The Bible just says he was a certain disciple that met with the church in Damascus. They, he didn't have a title. He didn't have an important role, really. He wasn't chosen because, you know, he had a, a great history or that he was equipped or endowed with gifts and abilities. This was just a normal man that was chosen by God to invest into a life that God had chosen. In 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11, the Bible tells us this, Therefore, encourage and comfort one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Comfort and encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. You know what that means? It simply means that 
When you come across a person that doesn't have the necessary materials in life that they need to succeed, you see it, you identify it, and you say, do you know what? I'm going to bring the necessary materials into that life that is, is feeling deficient, into that life that's feeling under the heel of life, and I'm going to bring the resources, I'm going to bring the materials to sight, and I'm going to build them up in that area where they have been broken down. That's what it means. It's the, the word build one another up, it's, it's a construction word. And there's so many lives around us. There's so many lives that we meet on a daily basis that need good materials invested into them. There's so many lives around us that are like a derelict house, a derelict building with no hope with no one coming on site with all of the good materials to build it up again. I'm telling you now, we're the church of God. We're the people of God. And we have the materials in hand to go into a lost world, to find people that are derelict, to find people that are broken, to find people that are wrecked. And we are there to turn up on site and say, do you know what? We're bringing the materials in to build you up again. This is the gospel. This is the good news in its simplest form. And every one of us, God wants to make aware. Every one of us, God wants to send out into our world so that we can reach others, that we can bring them into God's house, that they can be a blessing and their lives can flourish. You know, my, I, I, I think of it so often, the moment where Michelle was uh, Michelle Stone was on the bus stop waiting for a bus, and uh, along comes Siobhan. Siobhan, where's Siobhan? Hey, Siobhan. And they have a conversation, and Michelle and Siobhan, I think, knew each other prior to this, but Michelle just simply invites Siobhan. One thing leads to another. Siobhan comes to church and just really starts to flourish, really starts to really enjoy it and, and know that, that Jesus is, is her Savior. And then suddenly, she invites her husband, Andy. And now, we've got a wonderful couple, a wonderful family in this place that are a great blessing to all of us. But it doesn't stop there. Andy invites Neil and Alison, right? I, I don't know if you've met Neil yet. Incredible testimony. This I'm gonna, Neil's going to be up here one day. I've asked him already, right? And he's going to share the testimony of how Jesus saved him and their story. It's incredible. It's incredible. But it started on a Monday morning, or it could have been a Tuesday, right? In a very unspe un unspectacular place on a bus stop where Michelle invited Siobhan, and suddenly it's like a domino effect, and one thing is leading to another, and now these people are in this house being a great blessing. Not only is this house being a blessing to them, but they're unpacking their life and being a blessing to this house. You see, Michelle, Michelle realized, Michelle realized that to whom much is given, much is required. It could be just an invitation. 
into this place. It could be an invitation to your, 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 your connect group that could, that could help somebody and just bless somebody and bring them into a place where they've never been before. I want us to be aware of that. I want us to be aware that our lives are a means of building others up, are a means of being a blessing to others. And this is what we see with this man, Ananias. The first introduction that we get to Paul, the apostle, was when he was traveling to Damascus. So one of the first introductions that we get to him, get, get of him, is when he was traveling to Damascus. And he was going there because he wanted to actually destroy the church. Paul was a crazy guy, a very religious guy. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 8 that, that he would go into Christians' homes and he would pull the Christians out and he would, he would put them in prison. I mean, this guy was wreaking havoc, trying to destroy the church. The church was flourishing in Jerusalem, growing incredibly in its influence and, and numerically. It was doing incredible, and then suddenly this guy turns up on the scene, and he starts to really attack the church. He really starts to break it apart, and as a result of him and a group of others, a great persecution and great trouble came on the church. So the season changed for the church, and they scattered as a result of what this man was doing. And Saul stood as a witness at the death of a great disciple called Stephen. And, and he cast his, his cloak in, to, in, in for agreement when they stoned Stephen, and he was martyred. This guy wreaked havoc on the church. One day, Acts chapter 9, you can read it when you go home. It may be up on the screens that this man, Saul, was going to Damascus with one motive, and that was to destroy the church. And yet, on the road to Damascus, Jesus met Saul. And a light shone brighter than the noonday sun. He fell off his horse. He, he, was, he was in the dust. And the Lord said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Cut a long story short, he had to be helped to his feet. He was blinded by the light. And then he was uh, placed in a home. Judas's home on a street called Straight. In, in, in the meantime, a man called Ananias was praying. He was praying. And the Lord came to him in a vision and said to him, Ananias, it's time to use the investment that's been placed in you and take it to a man named Saul of Tarshish. He's seen you coming. I want you to lay your hands on him because he knows that you're going to arrive at his home. Ananias begins to contest. Ananias begins to argue with God. And the conversation that he was having with God was referring to all of the past things that Saul had done. Let me read it to you in Acts chapter 9, verse 10 to verse 19. It says this, now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. 
And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one that is called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, and the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. And when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. It's an amazing story, amazing testimony that occurred in both Saul's life and in both Ananias's life. But what I find interesting about Ananias's initial objection was this. He wanted to have a conversation with God about Saul's history. God wasn't going to get caught up in having a conversation with Ananias about Saul's history because he was concentrating on his destiny. You see, if we are just going to see people and their history, it, we're going to be greatly hindered when it comes to investing into their lives. If we only look at a person and the history and the baggage that they bring, we're never ever going to be a person that's able to bring all of the investments that's needed into that life. What we have to do is we have to look beyond the past to the promise that God is speaking over the life that He's chosen. We can't look at the past. We have to focus on the promise. Jesus never, ever looked at a person's past. He always centered on what God wanted to do with that life and how to release it and bring it into the blessing. He never focused on people's history. He was so concerned with releasing people in their destiny that his whole focus and his whole shift and his whole motivation was centered in that. Let's never, ever... Weigh up somebody's past. Let's never ever just think about the history and the baggage that somebody is carrying in their lives. Let's always focus on the promise above the past. Let's always focus on their destiny, not their history. And one of the objections that Ananias had before visiting Saul related related to his history. 
He said, I've heard. I've heard. And his fears were, were warranted. You know, this guy was crazy. This guy was locking people up. This guy was killing people. His fears were warranted. You know, as a pastor over the years, I've had people at different times come into my office and they want to talk to you about why somebody can't get involved in the church. They want to talk to you why somebody should be penalized, why somebody should go through a probationary period, let's say, before they get involved because of their past, their past. And in the course of the conversation, you hear phrases like this, well, somebody told me that, or I've heard that. You see, people always want to refer to people's histories, but God isn't, God isn't rooting around in the gory details of somebody's history. God is concentrating on somebody's destiny. Paul had murdered people. Paul had put people in prison. And now Ananias was sent to this man. And there was no probationary period. There was no discipline being dished out to Saul of Tarsus, who had done these incredible things in trying to destroy the church. He wasn't being penalized or disciplined by God. God had suddenly met him. He'd had an encounter with the risen Christ. His life was changed. And now he was being released and sent to the people that God had commissioned him to go to. Let's never ever, when we're seeking to invest into the lives of people around us, let's never ever think, well, do they deserve it? Well, don't you know what they've done? Well, I think if we went down that road, none of us would be here. We've all been forgiven much. Like that woman, like that woman that was at Jesus' feet. And Jesus said, she loves much because she's been forgiven much. We're all recipients of God's goodness and God's grace. And thank God he didn't hold my history up in front of my face. But the amazing thing about grace was that he didn't hold my history against me. He revealed a new destiny and a new life and a new beginning for me, just like he did for you. And that's what he was doing. That's what he was doing in, on this day to the Apostle Paul. Ananias was sent to him. And he moved beyond his objections into a place of obedience when he focused not on the past of a man, but when he focused on the promise that God had for him. I remember reading a story about how Billy Graham, the great evangelist, received Christ. And as a 16-year-old boy, he went to listen to a preacher called Mordecai Ham. And uh, he was just a nobody, and he walked into this very, very busy church, and he, he, he was taken to a seat. And he began to listen to Mordecai Ham preach, and at the end of the sermon that that man preached, Billy Graham put his hand up. The thing was, at the end of the, the series of meetings, Mordecai Ham was really depressed, really depressed, because 
only throughout the course of those meetings, hundreds of people had come into the church, but only two people had given their lives to Christ. One of them was Billy Graham. Little did Mordecai Ham know that Billy Graham would one day preach to over 250 million people live in auditoriums across the globe in 185 nations, and his voice would go through mediums that would reach untold uh, millions. Little did Mordecai Ham know that day the impact of his ministry on that young life that was sat in that crowd. But this is the wild thing. It wasn't just Mordecai Ham that had an impact in steering Billy Graham's life on that, on that night. There was an unnamed usher. Let's call them a person on the welcome team. Hey? Wasn't just a great preacher that was instrumental in helping Billy Graham that night receive Christ. There was an unnamed usher. Billy Graham walked in as a young 16-year-old to a church that was full, that was packed. He looked around and there was no seats. He felt embarrassed and he was walking out the door and an unnamed usher, a kind-hearted man, took him by the arm and said, Son, I'll find you a seat. I'll find you a seat. And he took that young man and he placed him in a seat and that was the beginning of the night that would change Billy Graham's life forever. And that young man went from strength to strength all over the world, stood before presidents, stood before the high and the low alike, bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ into the lives and the hearts of people. You see, it doesn't matter whether you're a preacher. It doesn't matter whether you're an usher. It's irrelevant. Our lives are to be an aroma of Christ to others so that we might attract them to the good news and to the life of Jesus Christ in our lives, in our lives. Incredible story. Your life matters. Your actions matter. Everything about you, just that word spoken, just that kind effort of going the extra mile for another. It matters. It matters. It really does. You know, Ananias could have, could have argued with God. Ananias could have stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with God and said, well, I want to be like Philip. You read about Philip in Acts chapter 8. He goes down to Samaria and suddenly there's a whole multitude of thousands of people in that city receiving Christ. Philip's ministry, he's getting launched into something incredible. God is launching that man into something amazing. Miracles, signs and wonders are, are, are happening all over the place. And Ananias could have been thinking, well, why can't I be a Philip? Why can't I be like that prominent, being used powerfully in, in a city, having a great impact. But you know, Ananias wasn't like that. He was just a disciple, a follower of Christ, 
just willing to be obedient, just willing to give his life, just willing to do what Jesus was instructing him to do. Don't be disappointed with your life. Don't be disappointed with your life. Don't compare what you do to somebody else. Don't compare your abilities to another. Don't look at another life and think, wow, aren't they doing great things for God? What am I doing? No, no, God has got great plans for you. God's got great plans. God's got a great work for you to do. And it might be in sending you to one person. To one person. God sent Ananias to one person. God sent Peter to untold thousands, hundreds of thousands. But to Ananias, he sent him. He trusted him with probably one of the most valuable commissions ever trusted to a disciple. Because Paul went on to write over two-thirds of our New Testament. And Ananias never gets heard of again. Never. After this amazing event, you would think, wow, I'm going to write a book. Books. I'm going to launch my own internet page. I'm going to let everybody know what I've done. No. I love this story. I love this man's life because you never hear of him again. You never, you, he never does anything really beyond this that we know of anyway. But this was probably one of the greatest acts within the book of Acts that occurs by a disciple that was obedient to Christ. Ananias, I'm going to ask the musicians to come. You know, Ananias could have. Ananias could have said, why aren't I a chosen vessel then? You're sending me to a man that's a murderer. You're sending me that, to a man that's consented to putting people in prison and breaking the church apart. I'm here in Damascus trying to do my best. I'm here in Damascus trying to live for your name, God. And you're, you're sending me to a guy that's got a, got a huge history. And now you're telling me that he's chosen? Give me a break. That's what human nature's like sometimes. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that. He just embraced the Word of God. He moved beyond his objections. He didn't look at somebody's past and get hung up in it. He focused on God's promise for that person. And he says, I will make the trip. I will take the necessary investments into that life. And I'll bring him. I'll do my part. I'll do my part. The part that I've got to play in that man's life, I will play. And then God will move him on and bring somebody else. Bring somebody else. Ananias had a wonderful role in Paul's life. He went in. The first thing he said, now this is a murderer. This is a man that's imprisoned people. This is a man that, that was at the stoning of Stephen. One of, the, one of the foremost people in the New Testament. This is a man that has a huge past. And the first introduction that we see that Ananias had with Paul was this. Brother Saul. Oh, Brother Saul. You see, when you look beyond people's past and you see the promise that God has for them, 
it's always an affectionate, endearing conversation and introduction that you're going to have with them. Come here, brother. God's got great things for you. Come here, brother. Your past is gone. It's over and done with. You're going to go before kings. I believe it. You're going to go before influential people. You're going to do wonderful things that God is going to reveal along the way. And I'm going to be the one that's going to build into you in these, in these foundationary years. I'm going to be the one that's going to be there for you to help you and guide you in the way of the Lord. And suddenly Paul's on his journey and he's out and he begins preaching. And then God brings another person into his life. You see, our lives, our lives are dependent on people. God sends people. Who is the person that God is sending you? Who is the person that God is bringing to your life at this time to help you in your journey? Or you could be a person to another life that's helping and bringing them into their place of destiny. After Ananias, another person comes on the scene. Maybe we'll look at him next week. A man called Barnabas. God sends a Barnabas to Paul. And Barnabas, his name translated means son of encouragement. Ananias, Ananias' name means Jehovah has been gracious. Barnabas' name means son of encouragement. God will send an encourager to build you up. God will send an encourager to get you past your past. God will send somebody like a Barnabas into your life that will invest and load you with blessing and focus you on your future and not all of the things that's behind you. And God sent Paul a Barnabas, an encourager. I think if we look back, we'd be able to identify those people that have come to us in times of life. Maybe it's just been for an hour, a day. Maybe they've been there longer, a year, two years, three years, investing, pouring, helping, making you whole, bringing you to where you are today. I think as those people rise up in our heart, we should give thanks to them. And if possible, make a little trip across the room, down the motorway to say thank you. To say thank you. People are so precious to God. People are so important. And this is what fills his heart. This is what fills the Word of God. It shows us how important we are to Him. Father, I thank You today for Your people. Lord, I thank You today that our lives and our actions with others are not insignificant. They're not a small thing. Lord, I thank You that there could be people in our lives today that we are investing into. It could be, who knows, another Billy Graham. It could be another Mother Teresa. It could be another notable person that we've got the privilege to help and to take forward and to do our part. Lord, I pray that in this next week ahead, we would begin to see people 
being brought to us by you. Or we would hear your voice and we'd sense your direction to go to another. And we would pour in all of the blessing that you've poured into us. Lord, we would begin to build up those that are broken down. We would begin to encourage those whose hearts are low. Lord, I just pray over this congregation that our lives would be a blessing to others beyond our borders. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be in this place while eyes are closed. You may be in this place today. And you may be wanting to ask Jesus into your heart. We've sung the songs together. You've heard his word. You've listened to people around you talk about things that God has done for them this morning. There's been so many different things that have pointed to Jesus this morning. And today, right now, you have an opportunity to ask him into your heart. I'm going to pray right now and give you that opportunity. If you want to ask Jesus into your heart, the Bible says that you've just got to simply believe but I'm going to pray a prayer and help you just to solidify that. Place your belief and your trust in Him to make Him your Savior today. Pray a prayer with me today. Just say this, Lord Jesus, I believe in You. My eyes haven't seen You, but inside my heart is reaching out to you. I ask you today to save me from my sin. Come into this empty place. Come into my heart. Be my Lord. I ask you from this day forth to walk with me. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin. If you prayed that prayer while eyes are closed, why don't you just lift up your hand? We want to give you a Bible. Just lift your hand up. I'll see it. Then you can put it down. We'll give you a little Bible. Is there a person here? You want a Bible this morning? Or you want to acknowledge the fact that you have given your life to Jesus? Well done. That's it. Don't be afraid. That's it. That's it, my love. Great. There's just a lady there. Well done. You know, it takes courage to do that, but something happens. We lift our hand up and something happens when we just acknowledge Jesus publicly, when we make known our decision. And there's a, a lady at the back there. Well done. That's it. That's it gentleman there. That's it, mate. Keep your hand up. That's it. When you put your hand up, you see, there's nothing magical about putting your hand up. But I don't know, something happens when you just do something in public for Jesus the first time. Yeah, I'm making this public. I prayed that prayer. Something happens. Something happens. Something happened to me when I did that. Is there one more? Another person 
young lady by Sally. Is it Eleanor? Yeah, you're a blessing, you are. Great girl. Come on, let's give Eleanor a great clap. Fantastic. Fantastic. We're going to stand to our feet and we're just going to sing before we close. God's been so good this morning. Thank you for your people. Thank you for your presence in this place. Holy Spirit, we bless your name. Come on, church. We're going to sing before we go.